Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Woodburn Baptist Church. My name is Tim Harris. I am pastor here. Delighted to welcome you to worship. Open your Bibles to the book of Judges in the Old Testament. Judges chapter 4. This is the third message in a series entitled Man on a Mission, preaching to men, for men, with men. And I want to talk to you again today from the book of Judges. Tonight, I'll be speaking on men and sexuality. So, uh, Hide your kids, hide your wives, hide your husbands. Uh, no, no, seriously, it's, it's going to be okay. Take a deep breath. We'll, we'll get through it just fine. But this morning, uh, the book of Judges, chapter 4, a sermon called Call of Duty. If you're new to the Bible or if you've never really read the book of Judges, I, I, wanna, I want you to understand a few things so that you know how to read this story with me. First off, if you look at uh, several places in the book of Judges, there's a sort of a refrain. There's a verse that keeps coming up over and over and over just to remind you why things are as they are in the book of Judges. And the verse says, in those days there was no king in Israel, so everybody did what was right in his own eyes. Keep saying that over and over and over. In those days, there was no king in Israel, so everybody did what was right in his or her own eyes. It's, it's, it's the refrain. It's the context. It simply wants to remind you that in these days, there's no male leadership. Okay? There's no male leadership. At the very beginning of the book of Judges, we're told that Moses, of course, died. And, and all of Moses' ministry, he had a young man named Joshua. And so Moses poured into Joshua and trained Joshua so that when Moses died, Joshua was in place and he stepped up and he took leadership. So Joshua led the people of God for, for a number of years and his ministry, his leadership was, was astounding. But Joshua had no Joshua. You understand what I'm saying? Joshua never prepared anybody behind him. Joshua never looked back and brought somebody along. So that when Joshua passes from the scene, there is nobody. There is no leadership. There is no male leadership in the whole uh, period of history here that comprises the judges. And, and I, want to, I want us to look at what happens when men go on strike or disappear or otherwise are not available to, uh, uh, to fulfill their duty. Judges chapter 4, uh, 24 verses here, so hang with me. Listen, first off, pay close attention to the women because they're awesome. And nothing I want to say today is going to take away from the women in this story. They are awesome. But just pay attention to the men. They are lame. They are lame. Judges chapter 4. After Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera. That's going to be important. Sisera, who lived in Harosheth Hagoyim. Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. And Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. <gasps> what? Deborah, a woman, was a prophet. Just get over it. I mean, it's there. It's just there. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. One day she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali, and she said to him, this is what the Lord God of Israel commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor, and I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. 
Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Here's a brave man. (laughs) Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture. Interesting, no honor for you. For the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. Get over it. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, and at Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 warriors went up with him. Deborah also went with him. Now, Haber the Kenite, a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law, Hobab, had moved away from the other members of his tribe and pitched his tent by the oak of Zananim near Kadesh. Now, when Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, he called for all 900 of his iron chariots and all of his warriors, and they marched from Hirosheth Hagoim to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. I love when God does that. Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Another brave man. Then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army all the way to Hiroshet Hagoim, killing all of Sisera's warriors. Not a single one was left alive. God did that. All right. Here we go. Verse 17. Meanwhile, Sisera ran to the tent of Jael, the wife of Haber the Kenite, because Haber's family was on friendly terms with the king Jabin of Hazor. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come into my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. Please give me some water, he said. I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him again. Warm milk and a blanket. Stand at the door of the tent, he told her. And if anybody comes and asks you if there's a man in here, New Living Translation says, is there anybody in here? But the Hebrew says, is there a man in here? If anybody comes and asks you, is there a man in here? You say no. Great verse. Great verse. When Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quickly crept up to him with a hammer and tent peg in her hand. Watch this girl. Then she drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground, and so he died. She nailed his head to the ground, people. When Barak came looking for Sisera, Jael went out to meet him. She said, come, and I will show you the man you're looking for. So he followed her into the tent and found Sisera lying there dead with the tent peg through his temple. That'll do it. So on that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king. And from that time on, Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him. Things are pretty janked up there in Israel. You got got to admit that. Things are pretty janked up for us too. You got to admit that. Over the holidays, I had a chance to visit my in-laws. They have cable TV. I don't. So I got to watch shows I never watched. Uh, I watched House Hunters. Uh, have y'all ever seen that? It's a pretty amazing show. If you, if you want to watch how married couples interact, House Hunters will, will let you see. This particular episode of House Hunters, there was this couple, interesting couple. Now, the guy, honestly, was just pretty ordinary. He was just a guy. But his wife was something else. She was a, a magnificent flower of a woman. I don't know how to explain this to you. Anybody ever seen Little Mermaid, the Disney movie? Okay. There is... 
Ariel, the little mermaid, she sings and she has red hair and, and she's sweet and beautiful little mermaid. But then there's Ursula. Ursula is the, the, the evil ocean queen, whatever, the sea monster woman, okay? This guy's married to Ursula. That's all I can say. Now, as an aside, I guarantee you once upon a time he thought he married Ariel. But then one day he woke up with Ursula because that's how it happens sometimes. He's married to Ursula, and Ursula and her husband are looking for a beach house on House Hunters, all right? So the real estate agent brings them in, and Ursula always enters the room first. I mean, she is all into it. She comes in, she's looking for a house, and this is how she talks. I'm looking for a house that I can put my mark on. Her husband just walks along behind her, she walks in, and they show her this beach house that honestly is kind of run down. I mean, this thing is just, it, it is just a, a heap of lumber. It, it is just, it is, it's just, it is in such bad repair. So she walks in and says, I like it, I like it. I can really put my mark on this place. I'm, I'm not, I, this is her. Her husband walks behind her and says, I don't know, honey, it looks like an awful lot of work. She says, it's nothing you haven't done before. So this poor guy is walking through the house, and she says, I want to see the bedroom. So they take him upstairs to the master bedroom, and she says, I like it, I like it. He says, honey, it looks like so much work. He says, honey, if we get this house, I'll be up here every weekend for two years trying to fix this place up. And she said, I'll miss you. <laughs> she said, I'll miss you. And then she said, show me the closet. And so they show her the closet. And the closet is as big as this sanctuary. It's this gigantic closet. And she says, I like it. I like it. Then she turns to her husband and says, where will you put your things? <laughs> they show them other properties, including a house that is brand new and ready to move into on the beach. Brand new beach house. The husband says, honey, I like this place. She says, I hate it. He says, honey, this is brand new. We can move in. Nothing needs repair. She says, I hate it. At the end of the show, you know, they look at several properties, and then they announce which house the couple picks. Which house do you think the couple picked? Yeah. Yeah. Ursula got her house. I tell you, if I could find that guy, I would call him and tell him to come live with us. <laughs> That's not a joke. What's happened to men? What's happened? My grandfather built the house that they lived in with his own hands. He built the house. It had four rooms and no closets, by the way. Four rooms. I can't imagine my grandmother looking at him and saying, where are you going to put your things? I mean, he built the house. What's happened What's happened to men? Tomorrow marks the one year anniversary, so to speak, of the shipwreck of the Costa Concordia. Do you remember that story back last January? That, that beautiful cruise ship that off some Tuscan island just, just sunk? Do you remember that? The amazing thing about the thing about the story for me was that as hundreds of people were going down in, in a sinking ship, do you remember what the captain and his crew did? They took off. They took off. Now, I don't know about you, but one thing I learned from Gilligan's Island is that the, the captain always goes down with the ship. For centuries, literally, it's been kind of a code of, of shipmen. And honestly, all men, that, that if you're a man, you go down with the ship. You put women and you put children first. There's honor in that. 
There's honor in men who are brave and honor in men who will sacrifice. We've always been taught that. And that's why it's absolutely shocking to learn that that captain and his crew, they went first. As soon as they realized that the ship was going down, they evacuated the ship and went to shore. They were in hotel rooms by the time the ship actually hit bottom. And do you remember that over 300 people were left on that ship and dozens of them died and drowned? Now, all last year, that captain was brought into court. He was being charged with manslaughter. And do you know what his defense was? You know what he said of of why this happened? He said he never meant to leave the ship, but when the ship began to sink, it sort of tilted in one direction, and he fell off, and when he fell out, he just fell right in the lifeboat. That was his story. You know, the ship just pitched, and I went on, and I was right in the lifeboat, so I just went to a hotel. The whole world was shocked. The whole world is saying, what's happened to men? And I'm just here to tell you, I don't know why the world is surprised. I don't think the world should be surprised at all. It's a a real crisis in in our society. And I don't know if you see this. I don't know if you recognize it. And I hope you'll understand the way in which I'm trying to explain this. Something's happened to our culture. Something's happened to men and boys. They're not what they used to be. And it has to do with the culture, with the society that we're growing up in. Don't be surprised if the captain and his crew evacuate the ship because there's nothing in our culture anymore that teaches men that they should be brave and strong. There's nothing, 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 nobody telling boys that they should grow up to make sacrifices, that they should do the hard things. Nobody's saying that. Even our military, there's very little honor in the sacrifices that our military makes anymore. Our military has been completely neutered by by political correctness. That's not just me saying that. I mean, do you pay attention to what others say? I mean, even feminists like like Camille Paglia, who made so much news last month because she was saying this, and and others who speak about the war on boys. It's not just somebody like me, a, a redneck preacher in Kentucky, who says this. Other people are noticing this. Camille Paglia, who is an older feminist, a lesbian, a secularist, we're not talking about anybody. It's not Lottie Moon giving this testimony. It's Camille Paglia. She says what we're witnessing is the suicide of a civilization. She says that because of what our civilization is doing to men. She says if we're ever actually attacked again, if we ever really have to go to war on our soil, who's going to save us? That's her question. Who's going to save us? If anything ever happens in our roads and our bridges and our railroad tracks are all blown up, Who's going to rebuild? We don't have any men who can do that anymore. That's a feminist talking. Are you paying attention? Do you never stop and wonder why a young boy growing up in our culture today is five times, some people say nine times more likely than a girl to be be taking behavior-modifying drugs? Do you ever stop to wonder why? Why are our boys needing medication just to get through a day of school? You really think there's something wrong with that many boys? Or wouldn't you ever stop to wonder if there's not something wrong with our school? If boys need medication just to get through it, 
It's not just me saying this, that there are lots of people wondering what's happened to men, what's happening to boys, what's happening to our world. It's the same kind of picture you see in the book of Judges. What happens when there are no longer men who are willing and able and available to lead? What happens when men no longer are in touch with their strength? What happens when society no longer welcomes and makes a place for masculine values and strength? But where do you end up? Well, you end up somewhere like the book of Judges. This is the point. There was no male leadership. There was no one who stepped up after Joshua. And this is what you get. It's chaos. It's political chaos. It's spiritual disaster. Now, having said that, Deborah's awesome. Deborah's awesome. And I don't want to take anything away from the, from the gifts and courage of this woman. She's awesome. God uses her. God speaks to her. She has more authority, more courage, more everything than anybody in the whole land. She's awesome. Everybody should be like her. Everybody should notice her. She is lifted up in this story as a hero, and she is. And I'm taking nothing away from that. Not a thing. God uses her because she's awesome, because she's available, because she will be used. Now, I know there are preachers who say, no, 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 God used her because there wasn't a man. If God could have found a good man, he'd have had Deborah somewhere teaching home ec. But I don't see that here. I don't see that. God uses women. God's always used women. And, and ma'am, you're in this life and you have breath in your lungs because God has something for you. You have strength also, and God will use it. God used Deborah. God will use you. I don't have to tear women down in order to build men up. I don't do that. Have you read Genesis? There was the man alone, and God said, that ain't good. But then God created a woman to be the helper. Now, see, when I use that word helper, I know, it's, I know what happens in your head. You think, oh, a helper, like, oh, Eve's going to be Adam's little helper. You know, she can bring him ice water while he mows the yard. She can vacuum his floor and bring him another Diet Coke. She's going to be his helper. No, you're missing that. Remember the book of Genesis is written in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word there is etzer. Etzer konegdo is the word. Eve was made to be the etzer konegdo. That word etzer is elsewhere in the Bible only used in reference to God. Only used in reference to God. All of those verses where it says, God is my strong help. It says, God is my etzer konegdo, my strong help. I'm not talking about my little helper. We're talking about my lifesaver, my rescuer, my strong helper. Understand? So Eve was created beside Adam with the strength that was very different from Adam's strength. And the reason God made us male and female is because God wanted female strength and male strength in the world. We need both. Families need both. This church needs both. Our community needs both. And the world needs both. We need strong men. We need strong women. God created us that way. A woman doesn't have the strength that a man has. And a man doesn't have the strength that a woman has. And you don't have to tear one group down in order to build the other up. The Bible doesn't do that, and we must not either. Deborah's awesome. She's amazing. She is so powerful that the otherwise strongest man in, in, in town says, I'll only go to battle if you come with me. I don't know what she's going to do. Go out hitting with her purse. 
But, but he says, I, I, I will only go if you're with me. It's great. Brings us around to that, that final scene at the end. The woman named J.L., who really becomes the, the big hero of the story, and she's just an ordinary woman going through her ordinary morning. She got up, you know, she probably walked, and she probably had breakfast, and she's probably put the kids on the school bus, and then she's probably already watched the prices, right? And then there's a knock at her tent flap door, and it's Sisera. He's the general. He's one of the bravest, boldest, most courageous men supposedly in the whole world. He's been commanding one of the most powerful armies. They have iron chariots and horses. I mean, I mean, this guy is everything. He shows up at her door and says, hide me, hide me. She says, come on in. She puts him on the couch. She covers him up with an African, you know, and then she gives him some warm milk to drink and gets him real sleepy, gets him put to sleep. And then what does she do? Yeah, she sneaks up with the tent peg. That would be a spike about this long. She sneaks up with a tent peg and a hammer, and she nails his head to the ground. Yeah, there's probably a whole dating series that could come out of that, that, that right there, but we, we won't do that. But notice that little exchange there before that happens. He says, listen, if anybody knocks at the door and says, is there a man in there, you tell them no. If anybody asks, is there a man in this place, you tell him no. See, this is why the Bible is such an amazing book to read, but because that's intentional. That's actually, it's kind of humorous because, you know, kind of there is a man in there, but actually in, in biblical terms, you're supposed to recognize that he's not any kind of man. That that's not any kind of man. It's not any kind of military man for sure. He's no man. He may be of the male gender, but he is right now covered up under an Afghan, drinking warm milk and hiding. He is not a man. And the Bible wants you to see that. So, sir, let's talk about you and me. If, if somebody knocked at this church's door and said, are there, any, are there any men in there? What would our answer be? If somebody knocked on the door at your house and said, is there a man in there? What would the answer be? Somebody knocked on your office door at work and said, is there a man in there? Because if, if you look carefully at this passage, it's very possible to be a man and at the same time not be a man worth calling a man. Sisera is a man not worth being called a man. What makes him so unworthy He's passive. He's passive. God created us with strength, men, and he created us to be men of action. We're supposed to get stuff done. But Sisera is obviously a man who's never going to get anything done. He's passive. He slips in the tent with the woman and says, hide me. If anybody says, is there a man here, tell him nobody's home. Passive. He, he's checked out. And then my, my concern is the, the way that so many of us have checked out. We're, we're passive. We're not men of action. We don't get stuff done. We don't get stuff done at this church. This church, like most churches, is, is actually dominated by women. Probably 60% of our attendance and our membership at all times is, is, is female. Are there any men in here? 
If you need volunteers to get stuff done, for the most part, you're going to ask the women because they'll get stuff done. We have women of action. Now, we have men who come to meetings if, if, if you beg them. And if you give them a title, if you give them a title, sometimes they'll do something if they have a title. But as far as just asking men to, to be men of action and get stuff done, it, it's hard. It's hard in, in our homes. It's hard in our community. It's hard in our church. Because so many men are just so passive. They just sit there and watch the world go by. Sometimes they get mad about the way the world's going, but you know they're never going to lift a finger to make a difference. They're just passive complainers, passive critics, but not men of action. Sister is passive. And he's, I would use the word impotent. He's powerless. He's a general. He's a fighting man. He's a military man. He has all of this authority. He's been winning wars, but at this point in his life, he's completely powerless. It's no strength. Maybe he has strength, or maybe he used to be strong, but he's not about to get anything done in, in, in the near future. He's powerless. No strength. No authority. No nothing. Hide me. If anybody asks if there's a man in here, tell them nobody's home. Sir, where's your strength? Do you really think God created you just to live your life in this way? Do you really think he just created you to be just this angry, violent, bored, frustrated man? Where is the strength God gave you? If God created women with their kind of strong strength, then what kind of strength did he give us? Do you really think we're just supposed to be sitting on our mother's couch playing Call of Duty when we're 34 years old? Where's your strength? God gave you strength, but you live like you have no strength at all. Sisera hides. Now, honestly, it's, it's a habit that a lot of men fall into. We're hiders. Part of it's because men in pride, we don't like to fail and we don't like to experience shame. And so, for the most part, anytime we feel like we're going to fail, we run. Isn't that correct, men? We just run. So if we feel like a failure in our marriage, we will run from that woman. Now, we may not run physically, but we know how to make ourselves unavailable. We know how to hide in the barn or the shop or the man cave. We just simply know how to hide from her. We may just hide behind anger, make her so afraid to approach us that she leaves us alone. But, but make no mistake, it, it's hiding and it's cowardice that makes you that way. Me too. We hide, but Sisera hides. But that tendency to hide there in his fear, to hide there in his impotence, to hide there, it's what makes him unworthy of being called a man. Knocking on the door of your life, sir, is there a man in there? The gospel of Jesus Christ is a call to duty. It's a call of duty for every man. In other words, Jesus wants you to give him your life so that he can live his life through you. And it's a very different kind of life than anything the world's going to call you to. It is a life of adventure. It is a life of courage. It is a life of getting things done. You have a purpose, sir. It's the gospel. Jesus gives his life. He, he died for you so that you can give him your life and then let him live through you. It's a life of courage. 
masculine strength. Where is it, brother? Ask you some questions. I just want you to think. First off, what is it in your life as a man? What is it that God has called you to do that you haven't moved on yet? Some of you are going way back now in your minds. You remember being a boy. You remember being a time when you felt closer to God and you felt like he had his hand on your life. And, and at that point, you wanted to follow him. And at that point, you felt called to something, but you walked away from that. I'm asking you now, what are you going to do about that? What is it that God has put in you? What is it he's asking you to do? What's the last thing God asked you to do that you didn't do? You understand? You've got to go back to that. It's the call of duty as a godly man. You obey God. So what is it that God has put in you? What is it that God has called you to do and you haven't moved on it yet? Sir, it's time to move. It's time to obey. It's time to get something done. What is it in your life that you're watching other people do? And part of you really feels like that's your job. You're watching other people do something, and deep down you know that that's something you should be doing yourself. Maybe you're watching some other man step in and be the man in the life of your son. And you're sort of bothered by that, but not bothered enough to get up and be a real dad. Maybe you watch other people serve the Lord at church and you think, I, I ought to be doing that. I need to be a part of that. But you continue being passive and, and absent. What is it you're watching other people do that you know down in the bottom of your heart you're supposed to be doing? Get up. Get with it. Join the work. We need your strength. What is it that's not happening in the world because you're not making it happen? I know the power comes from God. Everything comes from God. But I fully believe that God's put certain duties in your lap, sir. And if you don't do certain things, they just won't get done. If you will not be a godly husband for your wife, there is nobody else to take your place. You know that, right? You are the man in her life. If you're not going to be the man in the life, uh, lives of your daughters, if you're not going to be the man in the lives of your sons, you understand, there's nobody else to take your place. It just doesn't get done. What's not happening around you because you're not making it happen? Are you with me, sir? One more, and this one's so important for the church. What young man is there behind you that's never going to find his way as a man until you reach back and show him how to be a man. What young man or what group of young men, we may talk, be talking about your son, understand that, but what, what boy out there is there that's never going to find his way until you help him see the way? See, that, that was the problem in Judges. The, the great male leaders led well, but they never made sure that the generation behind them was ready to step up. Book of Judges is all about the chaos that follows when there just really aren't any men available to lead. We're beginning to live that chaos now in our culture. We're beginning to find out what they found out in the book of Judges, and that is simply this. What can be lost in one generation may not be recovered for generations to come. When Jesus wanted to change the world in the first place, what did he do? He came to earth and he called 12 men. 
He needed men. He wanted men. And those 12 men literally changed the world through him. That's why I just want to ask the question. Are there any men in here? Jesus is still calling men. Will you answer? Pray with me. God, you made me a man, and you made me a husband, and a father, and a son, pastor, friend, brother. Lord God, make me worthy to be called these things. God, as men, stir our hearts. You know how prone we are to hiding. You know how prone we are to running. You know how we tend to avoid anything at which we might fail. And the mission you call us to, Lord, is certainly one that is beyond our power, beyond our strength. And that is probably why so many of us don't step up. We don't want to be in any situation where we might look like fools. But God, if we never put ourselves in any situation that would require your strength, then we will never know what it feels like to have your strength in us. And God, we want to know your power. We want to know your might. We want to know what it is to be a man on a mission, a man called and anointed and appointed and energized and empowered by a mighty God. We want to live that life. We want to know that life. So Lord God, let us die to ourselves Let us die, Lord, to that horrible temptation to be passive and let life pass us by. Oh, God, raise up men. Raise up men in this church. Raise up men in our houses, in our families, in this community, in this world, Lord. Raise up a man in my skin. God, we thank you for the women around us, beside us, the women of strength and dignity and integrity and power. Continue, Lord, to call the women and use the women and empower them. But, Lord God, don't make them have to do it by themselves. Don't make them have to carry everything on their own. Lord God, you created us male and female with masculine strength and female strength. And, Lord, we all need both. Help us, Lord, to understand our weakness and to find our strength in you. Pray these things in the name of the Father.